Welcome to the podcast from Eden Worship Center. Because we believe that it is God's Word that does God's work in God's people, we want you to hear the gospel preached in the gathering of believers. We want you to read it for yourself and to join us as we think together and talk together about the sermon from this past week and what's going on in our world. You can join the conversation by sending in your comments and questions to EdenWC at Hotmail.com. May God cause His Word to come alive in your heart today. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining our EWC Midweek Podcast. Pastor Matt here. Pastor Harold. All right. Good to be together. Yeah. Even though we don't know for sure what we're doing this Who morning. knows? Who I knows what's know. about to happen in this podcast? But it, it's going to be exciting. It, it probably. Well, I don't know that that's true. Well, <laughs> let's well, move. We didn't, we didn't have it last week. There was no Midweek Podcast, which was a little disappointing uh, because the week before was that was the week that Danielle and I were gone in Canada. Yes, with the Drakes, and so you and Josiah and Avery had tag teamed the sermon, which I think was an EWC first. I don't know that we've I ever think done so. that before. I think so. It it turned out really well. Uh, I did have a humorous comment made as I was leaving the building. A guy stopped me and said, "Hey." We were like Amish church today. We had three preachers, <laughs> at which point I just laughed. But no, it, it turned out well. Uh, let's see. Um, Josiah started out with Psalm 1, and then Avery followed up with Psalm 19, and then I concluded with Psalm 37, these these psalms of, of worship and praise and psalms of wisdom. Wisdom. Yeah. yeah. So... It it turned out well, and the guys did a really good job yeah. of putting things together. Um, yeah, I thought the same thing. Just uh, obviously, we were uh, nowhere near, not even in the country. But uh, I thought they did a fantastic job with a really limited time frame. Because uh, yes. when I gave it to them, I'm like, "All right, look, guys, you each have about ten minutes, which means you cannot plumb the depths of what is here. You you can't." Well, they were just... stressing out a little bit over that. <laughs> and then we got together earlier in the week, and they were like, oh, what if Pastor Harold says, no, guys, you missed it? Yeah. <laughs> no, they did a, a really good job. And one of the things I thought of is it's, it's a blessing to have a congregation where it is safe for young men to begin to exercise their gifts and to test the calling, and it's safe. Yeah. You know, you don't feel like you have to be perfect you're you're not uh starting out as a spurgeon you know mm -hmm. you are you are just sharing what god stirs in your heart and testing your calling it and learning some of the principles of putting sermons together and yeah which that that was the thing that maybe encouraged me the most out of it was it was super last minute that we yeah. were leaving uh and it was it was basically a decision can we go uh, do we have, mm -hmm. do we have the option to even go and just sitting out and talking to those two guys who happened to be in here and actually they were sitting in this conference room and I came in <laughs> and said, so, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. And knowing because we've done the work in being two thirds of the way through school of ministry, uh, in teaching specifically yeah. into this preaching, uh, worksheet that mm -hmm. they've been going through, mm -hmm. which helps uh, all it is, is a tool to help them, uh, 
word by word, line by line, exposit the text, pull yeah. out what is in the text. And knowing that I could just pass the baton off and everybody was going to be fine. It, now, the only trick was melding all of those together, which that's a tough task. And <laughs> I think we did all right with that. You it know, worked and out well. For, yeah. For no more time in preparation than the three of you had uh, to be able to each share and then marry the whole thing together. Uh, I, I thought it was encouraging. So, so is this a subtle encouragement to people to just go back on YouTube and watch the service from a couple I, weeks if you ago. didn't see it yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, great job josiah and avery especially absolutely those two young guys jumping absolutely in doing that so this week was a little different uh this was our patriot day sunday mm-hmm. a uh long tradition here at ewc a church that isn't that long in history uh this is maybe one of our longest running traditions oh i think it has to be yeah yeah it, Starting the year after 9-11, so the attacks were in 2001, so the year after, uh, we actually, it, I'm sure you remember, had a thing where we invited the community. Let, let's invite Christians to come and mm-hmm. pray for our nation. Things mm-hmm. were still really up in the air, and how quickly we forget that feeling. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was, it was then the origins of the Patriots Day service was an opportunity to say thank you to these first responders here locally. Well, yeah, because the Christians didn't show up. I know. That first year, like, we had, there was one other pastor who showed up. There were, like, four of us there, five of us or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Obviously not on a Sunday morning. <laughs> well, and no. But my hopes had been, I will tell you, my hopes had been that other churches would pick up on doing a Patriots Day thing and that it wouldn't just be our church here doing it. And I was yeah. hoping others would, and they didn't. And then I remember a fireman coming to me and saying, hey, is your church doing something again this year? And we hadn't even decided it. And I said, yes. <laughs> and our people just pulled things together. And yeah. so I know it's been something that uh, first responders uh, have looked forward to every year. Yeah. And, and we want to honor them and just say thank you. Uh, the thing that really impressed me again Sunday was that we have so many of our kids who weren't even born. Yep. yep. I thought the same thing. And, um, to them it's history for us. It's, it's still a reality, a living mm. reality because we remember where we were, what we were doing. Um, so what were you doing? I was actually the president of the LaGrange County council. Do you notice how he threw in president? Like, I was bum, bum, really bum, bum, important. Bum. Back well, then. I used to be, <laughs> but no, it county was, council. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a Tuesday morning, and we were we normally meet on Mondays, but it was September, and we were working through budget for the coming year, so that meant Monday and Tuesday. Okay, um, and we were in session, and I remember our sheriff getting called out emergency management uh, director called out. Then someone came in from the Purdue Extension and said, excuse me, and we're in session. Uh, there's just been a plane that has uh, flown into one of the, the Twin Towers and and then a second plane. And well, we, I remember we took a recess. I said, we're going to take a recess. And uh, I said, when we come back, we're going to pray. I mean, you hear all of this separation of church and state 
But I said, we're going to pray. And we mm-hmm. came back into session. Uh, and that's why I raised, raised the point that I was the president, because I was it chairing gave the you meeting. the opportunity it did to do that. Absolutely. To do that. And I said, we're going to take time to pray. We don't know what's happening other than our nation is under attack. At that point, we didn't know if the president was safe. We didn't yeah. know. We didn't know anything. Yeah. Um, and there was so much uncertainty. I, I can tell you that when we did get out of session, one of the first things I wanted to do is I wanted to hear your mother's voice, and I wanted to hear your voice, and I wanted to hear your brother's voice. I was still able to, to make some cell phone calls at that point. But we came back into session, and I said, um, we're going to take time to pray. And if you want to pray out loud, that's fine. If you want to pray silently, that's fine. Uh, we'll take a moment, uh, some time, and then I will close in prayer. Well, as it turned out, I was the only one that prayed out loud. But the thing, I'll, I don't remember specifically what I prayed other than that God would preserve, protect our nation, mm-hmm. preserve, protect our president and uh, our joint chiefs of staff, because that by that point, we'd heard that the Pentagon had been hit. Yeah. Um, and just prayed. And the other thing I remember, when I said amen, I have never heard so many amens hmm. in a crowd, yeah. not even in church. So, And I'm thinking, okay, we got the press here. But what a different time. And as you said earlier, how quickly we have forgotten. Uh, because in the days following 9-11, people were gathering together to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's become somewhat ho-hum. And... Yeah. Uh, well, even by the next year, when we, which was on 9-11, invited other Christians in the community, uh, like there was one pastor who showed up. Yeah. And he's a faithful brother who's still serving in that congregation yeah. and uh, just mm-hmm. an awesome brother in Christ. But it was really ho-hum, like, eh, yeah, I, I remember, but it, not really interested. And I, I remember being, I was working at Dutch Housing in the trailer factory and hearing, as Trailer Factory does, weird, gossipy twists mm-hmm. on what was happening. Mm-hmm. And, and what I heard initially was completely wrong. But then finally, and out of a decade working in building houses, um, this is the one and only time this happened. They got everybody together. and Stop production. Everybody stops, okay. gets everybody together. And they said, here's, here's what's happening uh, we don't we don't know if it's over. We don't know if there's more to come. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to stop for, man, I forget, maybe five minutes. Just pray. They, they like the whole factory. They're like, please pray. Wow. And so you That's had awesome. You had factory guys all over who were like kneeling on the factory floor. Like I'd never heard this story. It's before. crazy. Yeah. I I think very nostalgic when i when i think back on that well it, you know one of the things that I, I think of matt as you as you say that is our kids need to hear those stories they need to hear how a nation uh fell to their knees and called on god yeah and yes we lament the fact that uh america has changed since that time and we've forgotten but how fabulous that in the workplace in government in Every segment of society, things came to a stop, and people began to pray and call on God. Yeah, and I think it's important to tell those stories to our children, my grandchildren, 
my great-grandchildren uh, as they become older to understand. And, and this is what, uh, what a nation did. Yeah. And, and, no, this is what a nation does. Yes. Uh, yes. We want to say did because that was that historical experience. Yes. yes. But when you look at the track record of our nation, this whole modern, overly privileged view uh, of what we now think of as separation of church and state uh, only comes from times of prolonged blessing where we, we as a nation say we don't need God. But when you look back at the track record Here's what our nation does. When calamity comes, we fall to our knees and we turn to God. Uh, presidents well, have called for days of fasting and prayer. Mm-hmm, uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's what happens with a people who have this kind of foundation. And our, like you said, our kids, grandkids, they've grown up in a world where they mostly haven't known that. We, we've just had yeah. prosperity. And so as a nation, we can, we can say in this moment, we don't need God. And then we rewrite history and say, oh, what we've always had is this separation of church and state, rather than when the founding fathers said that, what they meant was the state can't ever come in and tell the church what no. to do. Well, Not the it, other way around. And as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, uh, I believe his name is Deshay, who was Presbyterian pastor. And during the Continental Congress, it was actually Benjamin Franklin, who was at best a deist, mm-hmm. Uh, said, we need to begin these sessions with prayer. Yeah. And they bring in this Presbyterian pastor uh, who arguably was the first chaplain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that began the whole thing of, um, of Congress opening sessions with prayer. But John Adams, somebody recorded his, uh, wrote down, not digitally, of course, yeah. but wrote down uh, his prayer. And I don't know, maybe he had written it out because prayers frequently were written out. But he had read a psalm, and then he prayed this prayer, which we have copies of today. Uh, and John Adams said he had never seen a group so moved hmm. as what happened that day when this pastor read the psalm and then prayed because America was at a point of crisis, and uh, yeah, there wouldn't be an America yeah. had it not been for the events of that time in 1776 and the years surrounding that. So you're right. This is the history of our country, which unfortunately is not being taught to generations today. Yeah, yeah. kind of the opposite. Like, well, the opposite. The, either, either the founding fathers didn't uh, desire that, which clearly the historical record says the opposite, or mm-hmm. then we just paint the historical founding fathers in a profoundly negative light mm-hmm. because of cultural missteps that were in fact going on in the time. Yes. And so we want to just dismiss in a cancel culture. We want to go back and cancel the very men who without them, we don't have a nation. Which, you know, as a part of that, we hear virtually nothing of the Black Robe Brigade, which was critical in America's war for independence. And the Black Robe Brigade, those were the pastors. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably... Now I've got something new to research, because <laughs> inquiring minds like to know more about there you these go. things. Write so. an article. Uh, but that's why we do Patriot Sunday. Yes. Uh, it's the fact that we rewrite and forget 
And it, all you have to do is look at the last 10 years of American history and see how we went from 2001 calling our police and firemen heroes mm-hmm. to uh, they're villains. They're villains now. I, I mean, thinking about 2014 with Ferguson. Yes. And just this monstrous turn where it, the universal consensus, when you look at like snide comments mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. humor is police being abusive and you know whatever and it for some reason because they're first responders our culture has lumped in firemen with that to where firemen now are having to cross train in yes. police tactics uh we have firemen showing it like they're wearing all this gear anyways yeah and i mean you and i know from being uh, chaplains, chaplains yeah. and on scene where the if you're actively working a fire uh, the thing that you need most is to take breaks because you're wearing all this heavy gear mm-hmm. and you get overheated and dehydrated mm-hmm. and like it, it can be really dangerous. Yes. And Life now we're adding to that bulletproof vest because we've they're had being incidents shot at and in, yeah, they're shooting at firemen. Yeah. It's terrible. Um, you shared something Sunday and I wanted to follow up on this. Um, by the way, um, that was a really powerful word that God gave you Sunday morning. I, I really appreciated that. I you copied mean, and pasted it. Did offline. you copy and yeah. paste oh, it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, glory to God. It's not well, actually true, by the way. <laughs> someone's like, I knew it. <laughs> I was going to say what you a did creep. a great job of, of copying and <laughs> pasting. Um, but you gave some statistics, and I didn't get it written down first uh, f- quick enough to be able to get it. But you talked about trauma. The average person sees... Uh, you said, you know what? It was one or two critical incident things in their whole life. Yes. uh, Which is uh, some gruesome, traumatic injury, uh, uh, death of like multiple people or Mm -hmm. something horrible involving a child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One or two. Uh, And the average officer, so full-time police officer, uh, sees 188 of them on average. So that's not even the guy's in some of the big cities where they're just going call to call, call to, to call, call. To call. Uh, we'll see 188 of them in the course of their career. And we see one of them and we're like, I'm traumatized. Yeah. I have PTSD. And we, we just have a bunch of guys just walking around mm-hmm. uh, with years of trauma stacked up on them. And it's police and fire. Yes. Like. And the term they're using now is cumulative career trauma. Yeah. Um, well, that was especially poignant to me because, unfortunately, um, last week there were a number of us out on fatal incidences. You had one Wednesday morning um, where a person. And let's got, not share the details, by the way. We won't share yeah. details. But then I was one on one later in the day with a 10 year old mm-hmm. and the trauma there. Yeah. And uh, just knowing what they they went through, and you well, know. one of the stats I didn't share before you jump into that is uh, in 1984, because somewhere around 90 percent of our our fire districts or or firehouses are volunteers mm-hmm. in our nation. Uh, in 1984, we had somewhere and I don't remember the exact number, something over 900,000 volunteer firemen, and Oh man, I forget the exact date. I, I it was just a couple years ago. Uh, 
the number had dropped by over 200,000. So it was down wow. around 700,000. So you, you think of going from nine to seven, you know, that mm. that's a significant percentage drop considering uh, we still have these uh, volunteer departments, only mm -hmm. now there's less people, they're stretched thinner, there's less they can do. And in that same time frame, the demand and calls has tripled. Oh, it, it's going three up times higher exponentially. And I don't know if if you still have a fire pager. Uh, I I do, so I hear the calls, and the number of calls on these volunteer fire departments is just unbelievable. Yeah. So the stress and the strain, and and I I think this illustrates again the importance of of saying thank you to these first responders. I, I would just encourage you, you, you see a policeman, you see a fireman, uh, go up and thank them for their service. You see someone in uniform in the military, thank them for their service. Um, you know, my background was from a denomination that was one of the traditional peace churches, mm -hmm. not involved with in the military. We certainly didn't have police officers coming to church because they carried guns. And what 9-11 did for me in 2001 was bring me to a point of saying, we need to learn to say thank you to people who are there serving us and protecting us yeah. without feeling like we're making a theological statement about ourselves. Now, the other side of that is that the Apostle Paul says in Romans that those that carry the sword, bury the sword, uh, they're ministers of God. So yeah. that's that's a sermon yeah. for another day. Yeah, my hope is we make a profound theological statement about oh. it. I mean, I, I know it sounds good to go, we want to say thank you without making a theological statement. We want to make, a, and I hope we did, make a strong theological statement that you've been given this job by God. Like this is a divine now, that's assignment. True. Uh, and in that divine assignment, God is the ultimate authority. He's the ultimate actor here, mm -hmm. uh, which is why I use the language that probably non-first responders didn't catch. But when when their pager goes off or uh, on their radio and they'll call out either uh, a fire station or an individual police officer. Come 10-8. And they'll say, come 10-8. Oh, I caught that. To, you know, what whatever the thing is. And, and it basically means you need to begin moving in this direction to get to this address, because here's what's going on. And when you get called to come 10-8, God's already there. Like, it's yeah. his scene. Yeah. Which I knew none of our people got, but... <laughs> oh, I did. I, and I was thinking of uh, Jay Warner Wallace and his God's crime scene and some of his books and the excellent things that he has done in laying out uh, the case of Christianity, the case uh, for Christ. Yeah. Uh, from a law enforcement and doing it like a detective would do. Yes, he was. Uh, he's now retired, but he was an L.A. cold case murder detective yeah. slash atheist. Atheist, yeah. And I remember hearing him uh, in Bristol, Indiana, mm -hmm. when breaching the barricade was just really small, and he yeah. was there. And I went home. I told your mom. I said, "Okay, we're watching." I don't know if it was the late night television show, oh, Nightline right. or something like that. I said, we're going to watch because he's going to be on here. you got to hear the guy that I yeah. heard today. Uh, and he was an atheist. And to shut his Christian family members up, he took his cold case techniques, protocols, 
and applied them to Christianity came out. And the gospel accounts. And the gospel accounts using yeah. those witnesses and everything that he would do to solve a cold case murder. Yeah. Uh, he did, uh, applying it to Jesus Christ and Christianity, and came out of it a profound believer yeah. in Jesus Christ. He came Christ. out an apologist. Who, yeah. He's the one <clears throat> making the argument. Like, he's yeah. super good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so part of the hope is, and I derailed you from what you were going to say earlier, but part of the hope is as these guys, men and women, come in, that we can, in small part, do that. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't want to... We don't want to do it in a way that's pushy, but we want to do it in a way that is compelling and makes the argument, uh, we need you. We're, we're putting our trust in you. Mm-hmm. So please put your trust in God. Well, here's and, who this God is. And that's where I was going to go with this, uh, because first responders would have understood this intuitively where... The rest of the people in the congregation wouldn't have picked up on this, but they know the weight of the trauma, and they know that when they get together, when firemen or cops get together, almost invariably they begin to tell war stories of things that, scenes and things they were involved in, and it's part of their way of dealing with things, but we cannot carry these things in ourselves. And, And I appreciated how you pointed us and I'm including myself because, wow, I've been a police and fire chaplain since 2005, so I'm starting to approach 20 years of this, and I have my own set of war stories. Yeah. That's why you just encouraged me not to give details a little bit ago. <laughs> and I yep. will, yeah, because I know how it works. You, well, you so in the illustration that I gave uh, at the beginning of like, okay, if God is there, and if God is sovereign and in control. Well, why didn't he stop? And then yeah. I listed five things in a row that I knew would resonate with them. Mm-hmm. But those were my five examples. Like those are, those are five things that I went through. Well, and that's why you knew it would resonate with them. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you mention just a couple of those, those things, you know, that, that point yeah. us to a need. I mean, like without I, going I had to into... grow up with a brother named Jason. It was rough. <laughs> Right from day one, right from day one. I'm like, can we take this kid back? No, <laughs> just kidding. I mean, there, there's a bunch of things that, uh, so just one in particular, um, a few years ago, uh, Pastor John was still here. We were going to mm-hmm. meet somebody for lunch. I don't I don't remember mm-hmm. who it was. We were going to go meet somebody for a lunch meeting and we got just to the end of our road where uh, the road that comes to the church meets with State Road 5 mm-hmm. and it was pretty clear. It, it looked confusing for a second, but it was pretty clear an accident had just happened. Mm-hmm. And then it, I realized, oh, this accident just happened like seconds ago. Mm-hmm. And so I hop out and I run over to the vehicles and just see how everybody's doing. And everybody's talking. No, I'm okay. Yeah, I, I think it's all right. And so I go back to the truck and I grab my police vest because if you're on scene at either a fire or a police thing and mm-hmm. you're on a road the state says you have to have this reflective vest on so i went put this vest on i go back out and thought i'm gonna go talk with the truck driver who's there and while i'm talking with the truck driver uh two ladies who had witnessed it were nurses and uh 
I hear him start talking louder and louder to the lady who was sort of sandwiched in the middle. Like mm-hmm. no, no mm-hmm. significant injuries, no nothing. What had happened was she had had a heart attack and blacked out, crashed into the car in front of her and then got hit by this truck behind her. Behind her. So she was sandwiched in her she vehicle. Was, yeah. And she wasn't like pinned or stuck or anything, but when I first went up to the window, are you all right? She's like, yeah, I you know, just sort of like, Oh, I can't believe this happened. A little bit older lady. And when I got up there the second time and she wasn't, she wasn't responding to their questions. And I said something to her and her eyes just rolled back in the back of her head and quit breathing. And we jerked her out, did CPR on her mm-hmm. and got a pulse back, which was great. Mm-hmm. And, um, the medic showed up and took over and got her in the ambulance and then didn't leave which if you're on scene and yeah. and they fly them out they don't fly them if they're not if they're not currently living yeah. you know so when when you see that take off that's somewhat that's good news that's a good news yeah uh, when you see the ambulance take off that's good, good news. news and it yep. didn't leave and ended up passing away but it's one of those things where okay so we were here like boom right on the spot uh started CPR exactly from minute one or second one actually. Mm-hmm. And okay. So did if, everything right. Yeah. If we do everything right, why does it still not work? Why doesn't God fix the situation? And the reality is we live in a sin broken world where now uh, mm-hmm. death and disease and evil are actually part of this world and this condition that we have. And God is showing his glory in redeeming us out of that, he's showing us his glory in pointing us to that this world is not our home. There, there's a greater rest for his mm-hmm. people that is coming. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, we shouldn't be shaken as, especially as Christians, when we encounter things that remind us, like every war story that law enforcement and firefighters have, like so many families mm-hmm. have difficulties mm-hmm. that their family has walked through and those stories remind you, you live in a broken world. Those are meant to point us to a faith in God who is outside of this world. Like that, this yes. world is not the end. It's not our hope. Mm-hmm. Jesus is our hope. And, and I appreciated Sunday how you just drew that back, that all of us need a hope and a strength that is beyond ourselves, that we cannot look to ourselves. We cannot look to the things of this world to provide that for us. Um, and that's an, an important reminder for all of us, whether we're first responders or working with first responders or just, you know, living our lives. We need to be reminded of that because it's so easy for us to just focus on the here and now and that this life is yep. all there is. And, and there's something about the way God created us that our human bodies cling to life. Mm-hmm. They fight to live. Yeah. Uh, and we need to be reminded that this world's not our home. Yeah. So maybe, maybe a good way to kind of tie this into how's this practical for our people either watching or listening to this podcast, you may not be a member of a first responder department, but at some point you're going to be called to be a first responder. Now that doesn't mean somebody's going to drop over in front of you and you're going to have to do CPR. Although if so, good. I I just saw a news story this morning that there was a teenage boy uh, who found, and I don't even know what the relationship was, uh, finds this man 
who is has drowned in a pool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And have you seen this story? No. And he pulls him out and does CPR because he had learned it from watching a TV show called Stranger Things. And he does <laughs> wow. CPR on this guy because he saw it on a TV show and he saves his life. Absolutely crazy. So you may never Fantastic. be called to do that, but I guarantee you are going to be put in situations where you're the first responder. Mm-hmm. Some kind of trauma is in another person's life And in that moment, you might be tempted to do all the things that we just talked about, forgetting that this this world is not the end, that this world is not the perfect utopia. In fact, it's a it's a sin broken world and that the person involved is not the enemy or Satan or the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. And if we forget that, then what happens is as someone shares their heartache with us, we are the first responder who immediately joins in like, I hate that guy too. He is the worst. You know what? I don't even know your boss, but I hate your boss. Or uh, that church, how could they have done this to you? Or that husband or that wife or those uh, in-laws, you know, whatever the story is. And we jump in and we become part of the trauma. We become part of the carnage and we're Mm -hmm. literally making it worse. Mm Mm-hmm. Rather than, and this is, this is why first responders train, they train, 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 here's what to expect and here's what to do when you get there. And if we as Christians would do that, then when the person who sits next to you at work starts sharing, here's the heartache, like we just got this diagnosis, yeah. uh, I just found out this is going on, then we immediately, as Christians, snap into action, we respond first and go, here's how you don't get destroyed by this situation. That's good. Put your hope in God. And we're encouraging people towards faithfulness and trust in God rather than, and unfortunately, I think here's what Christians do most of the time. We just jump right on the bandwagon and we make it worse. Yeah. Well, I was reminded of, as you were talking of this, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, one of his favorite, uh, famous lines is in that moment of trauma or crisis, you do not rise to the level of your expectation. You fall to the level of your training. Mm-hmm. And that's why first responders train, 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 train. Yeah. So what also came to mind in this as Christians, and I, I think this is an important takeaway for us, is that we need to train. We need to prepare. And as a church, we haven't done it the job we should have done, I think, in training our people to do the very thing you're saying that when they in this situation and they hear people going into this, they immediately say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And to point them towards, towards Christ, towards trust and faith. The other thing that I thought of is it's really important for us. I would encourage you, uh, find a first responder, not only thank them for their service, but if you know any of the police officers, if you know any of the firemen, start praying for them on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, And then to be able to, once you've done that, then you can honestly go to them and say, I thank God for you. And I want you to know, I pray for you every day. And just praying that God will bless you and keep you. Because one of the things that police officers in particular uh, they're suspicious. That's what keeps them alive on the street is mm-hmm. that yeah. hypervigilance. So they see the Christian coming and they think, oh boy, they got the Bible and they're going to beat me with it, you know? Uh, but when they know you genuinely care yeah. and you say, I thank God for you. I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. 
suddenly everything changes and there comes to be an openness. Uh, but it takes time mm -hmm. because they got that wall of protection. Yeah. And if we're going to be good at that, whether it is, you know, actually talking to a first responder or being that spiritual first responder, uh, we have to start with us. Yes. And that's really what we're doing with this Psalm series mm -hmm. is trying to lay a foundation and Boy, give you some segued into that I, beautifully. I do what I can <laughs> give <laughs> people some tools to go, okay, my world feels crazy. Uh, Here's, here's some Psalms that remind me uh, that God is wise and he's in control. Mm -hmm. Or uh, I have lots of anxiety. Uh, here's the Psalms where I'm going to remind myself that the Lord is my fortress. He's my refuge. He's the thing mm -hmm. I run to. Uh, not, not medication, not alcohol, not, not whatever the thing is. If you're running to anything, that's an idol. Exactly. Right? So even... Uh, even good things, even even gifts of God can become idols in our lives if we are not being diligent with our hearts first to go, okay, I know this world is broken and here's how I'm going to cling to God in this. If we train our hearts to do that, if we get good at that, well, then when we're put into those situations, that's what's going to come out of us. And if we haven't done that, when we get put in those situations, then the opposite of that is mm -hmm. what's going to come out of us. Mm -hmm. And I, I could just, there again, just thinking back through church history and just our church's limited history, how many times have things just exploded and blown up, even between believers? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they haven't been diligent with their hearts to say, this is where my hope lies. This is where my trust lies. And they've mm -hmm. actually put that hope and trust in a person in a friend, quote yes. unquote, in the church. Yes. And when that person lets them down, it blows them out of the water. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, I don't care. I'll, I'll walk away from the friendship. I'll walk away from the church. Many have even walked away from faith. Yes. Now, I don't, I don't know what camp, and we're not going to make any judgment calls, like, were you saved? Were you not saved? Was this yeah. an action you were just going through? Um, all we're left to do is just pray for God to grant repentance in that situation. But if we're not diligent and listener, if you're not diligent, yeah. if I'm not diligent yeah. to build these things into my heart, when your moment of trauma comes and you're called to be the first responder or uh, maybe even a first responder for your own family in those moments, uh, odds are you will fall to the level of what has just been normal thinking for you, mm -hmm. which is I'm in mm -hmm. control. And when you find out you're not, well, then I'm devastated. My world is broken. It's all hopeless. I quit. I give up. Uh, and you will possibly train wreck your whole family. Yeah. So be diligent. Dive into these, especially these sermons that we're doing in the Psalms. Uh, be diligent to build this arsenal of faith within mm -hmm. your own heart. Man, it, it is absolute gold for you in the future. Well, it, it becomes this rock-solid foundation. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking, as pastors, as police chaplains, we have seen both in congregational life and in life out on the street, when trauma hits, we see how people respond yeah. and what their, their foundation is, what their rock is. And to be able to build... 
You know, I love that old hymn of the church. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And that yeah. glorious it, and chorus. That's, I think most people who just heard you say that could have said those words with you. Mm-hmm. And yet, how many times do we sing hymns oblivious of what they mean? So yeah. what is the sweetest frame? What is that? Well, it's the framework that I have built my life around and it is good and it is sweet and precious and it looks fantastic and And life is good. Dare not trust it. Yeah. But wholly lean on Jesus name. So the framework of your job falls apart. I'm leaning on Jesus. Mm -hmm. Your family falls apart. I'm leaning Leaning on on Jesus. Jesus. Your church lets you down. I'm leaning Leaning on on Jesus. Jesus. If you do that, then you end up singing the chorus on Christ, the solid rock. I stand. Yeah, everything else is sinking sand. I knew that to start with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet those frames are sweet to us. Our family oh, yeah. is sweet. Jobs uh, can be sweet. Oh, and, yeah. You know, all of those, they're, again, good gifts in life. But when we make those good gifts ultimate, well, now family just became an idol. I actually think that's a pretty significant danger for the church, especially sort of in the reform circles where we are right now, where we take that good gift of family and we elevate it to ultimate. Mm-hmm. And it can become an idol for us. Mm-hmm. And we, we have to be careful not to do that, um, especially when Jesus is going to go, here's, here's what your devotion to God should look like. It looks like you hate your father and mother, you hate your wife, and you hate your children. <laughs> okay, well, he's not saying hate those people, no, no. but he, he's like, it should be such a stark contrast that that is just another sweet frame, but I am not. I'm not leaning on it. I'm not hoping in it. I'm not building my life on it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I hope that's a good encouragement yeah. uh, to you to be more and more faithful. Uh, because there again, tying it to 9-11, we forget. We forget the emotion. We forget the trauma mm-hmm. of that moment. And, a lo- mm-hmm. and when you have said things are changing and they'll never be the same. Yeah. I'm not buying it. <laughs> no, they're, they're going to go back to the same really quick. Mm-hmm. Use this moment as an opportunity to begin uh, implementing those changes, th- those small things that are yeah. changing the course of your life and pointing you towards faithfulness in Christ and the gospel. That's really important. Okay. Amen. Well, God bless you. Hopefully we will see you this coming Lord's Day when we gather together. Uh, we're going to have Sunday school at 9 o'clock. And by the way, Tony did a fantastic job with the adult Sunday school last week because I had told him they have so much material we try and cover in that time. And I'm like, and we got to be done early because people are coming in. Tony, you did awesome, brother. Uh, But Sunday school is at nine and then worship service is at 10 a.m. Yes. All right. God bless you. Lord willing, we'll see you there. Yeah.